Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Amen. Amen. That means let it be so, or so be it. And I just want to say, so be it. So be it that we don't take life personally and shrink back when attacks come. And we see it for what it is and realize that this is not something that I am to get introspective and and have a why me attitude. It's an attack against the kingdom of God that's within me. There is an all-out demonic war against the kingdom of God that is within you. It wants to steal, it wants to kill, it wants to destroy, it wants to rob, and it wants to whittle you down to being ineffective because you take things personally and suddenly you end up in this place that says, well, if God, then how come, and if he is, and then why, and all this stuff, and it's like, man, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that there is a war that we are in right now, and the war is against the kingdom of heaven, which is within you. And if we lose sight of that for a minute, we'll take everything personally and suddenly everything in life, we'll, we will, we will uh, determine our standing, we'll determine God's goodness, his faithfulness, all of that will be determined by everything outside rather than being interpreted through the, the cross of Jesus and the blood of his son. And I'm not saying that we weren't meant for victory, I'm just saying that if we are letting every little thing in life determine how we are doing, then we're a product of our circumstances, not a product of his life spent on a cross for us. And now all of a sudden, we've lost complete focus on what matters most, and we've let everything in life be Lord, all while saying Jesus is. And, and that's, that's like, come on, like, don't take that as a, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a condemning thing. Take that as a challenging thing that, that there's a place in him that we can live where life isn't determining how we're doing. Where, where natural circumstances, it's what I wanted to preach about this morning, so I'm glad that Hannah hears the Lord. Um, God, would you come? You're here, but would you come? Spirit of God, would you come? And do what only you can do. Would you open our ears to hear? God, I'm asking God that you would come and, and cleanse anything in our ears that would filter your word. That would keep it from being received. That you would come and destroy any thoughts that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of you. That would keep your word from penetrating the way that we think. And that you would come like a like a good gardener and and tend to the garden of our heart and expose anything in our hearts that would keep your word from being implanted and bearing the fruit that you intend. God, we we, we can't do this without you. Holy Spirit, we we can't do this without you. Without you, there's, there's, there's no chance. And so we're thankful that we are never without you and that you are faithful, that you are good. And that you will watch over your word to perform it. So we yield ourselves to you. I yield myself to you right now. To have your way. To move. To speak. To flow through this place. God, we don't want to just come to church. We don't just want to come to a service. We don't want to check a box. We don't want to cleanse our conscience of the thought that I really should go. We're not here for any of that. We're here for you. We're here because of everything we could do, the most important thing that we could do is seek the kingdom. 
And that's what we're here for. We're seeking you and your kingdom. We don't want to live in reaction. We don't want to be like ships tossed to and fro by the waves, blown around with every wind of doctrine that blows, steered by every voice that speaks. We want to be so anchored in you that no matter what comes, we're not moved, we're not shaken, that we're not changed except by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been thinking about this, what I'm going to speak on today for, I guess it's been over a month now. Well, it's been a long time, but, but really over the last month, because there's something that I've experienced in my own life, and there's something I've watched people experience in their life, and and it got me digging into the, to the what exactly, because I could say it, I could say this to people, but I, I, I never, I don't know that I ever like articulated the exactly what was meant by that. And some people, when they would hear it, they would get it. And some people, when they would hear it, they would act like they got it. And some people, when they heard it, you could tell that they didn't get it at all. And they thought that you were crazy. And it's the way that we live in response, especially when we go through trials and when we go through hard times or when we face things in life that aren't fair, that are unjust, or that we perceive as being evil um, and, and, and against us. And what really got me again thinking about it was when we were in the hospital and people would ask my mother-in-law, how are you doing? And her response just about every time was, in Christ, all is well. And, and I know there were some people that thought that, you know, that was just a, a denial thing or there were, there were some people that probably didn't understand what she meant and there was probably some people that took that and meant it something, you know, thought it meant something totally different than what she meant. But I know what she meant when she said that. And then the other day she came by the house and my little brother Max, my younger brother Max was there. He gets on to me for calling him little, even though I'm bigger. Um, and, and, and he went out and he said, how are you doing? And she said, as long as I'm in Christ, I'm good. And, I, and I, that, that, those words were echoing in my head throughout the day, and I was just praying into it, and I was, I was asking the Lord about that. And, and I know exactly what she meant, but I think that sometimes uh, we can say things and assume that people know what we mean. And I, I want to give some context and some clarity to that because it is the truth. Like, if I'm in Christ, if I'm in the kingdom, everything is okay. That doesn't mean all that has changed. It just means all that hasn't changed me. It just means all that isn't Lord because he is. And when I'm surrendered and submitted to the lordship of Jesus, then it doesn't matter if everything around me isn't perfect. I'm perfected in him, and I have a peace that passes understanding. So when I have peace, there should be people in the world. Like, we should live in such a way, when it calls us a peculiar people, like, part of that peculiarity is the fact that we have a peace that doesn't make sense to people that don't know Jesus and aren't living in the kingdom of God. Like, if our life makes complete sense to people that say there is no God, we're not very peculiar at all. If we respond the way that the world responds, if we are a product of our environment rather than seeking to see our environment become a product of what's inside of us in the kingdom of God that we carry, then there's nothing really peculiar about that. And there's nothing really peculiar about us rejoicing when things are going well and being devastated when things aren't. 
That's normal. That makes sense. And, and so I was thinking about the, 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 the verse that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Well, the spirit of the Lord is everywhere. Like literally, the, the spirit of God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere that the spirit isn't. David understood this in the old covenant. Long before people could be filled with the spirit of God and actually carry and have the presence of God resting on them their whole lives, when the spirit would come and go off of people, his presence would come and go. Even back then, David said, where could I go to escape your, your, your presence, God? Like there's nowhere that you're not. If I went to the highest height, you'd find me there. If I made my bed in the lowest place in Sheol, there your, your presence would find me. Where could I go to escape it? In other words, you are everywhere. So if where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, then that must mean that there's liberty everywhere. So everybody is walking in freedom, but we all know that that's just not true. Where the spirit of the Lord is yielded to, where the spirit of the Lord is leading where the spirit of the Lord is being acknowledged and where the spirit of the Lord is having influence, there's freedom there. But it takes us actually yielding to the leading of the spirit. If I yield to the spirit, then I won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say if the spirit is there, I won't because the spirit is there. It says if I yield to the spirit, if I submit to the spirit, if I actually in the middle of whatever it is that's going on, I find him, then suddenly... There's a freedom there. Why? Because I'm free from everything outside of the kingdom that I've been placed within. I'm no longer a product of what people have or haven't done. I'm not the man at the pool of Bethesda anymore. I'm no longer the man at the pool of Bethesda with Jesus standing in front of him asking him, do you want to be well? And all I can think about is all the reasons that I can't. Like Jesus walks up to a man who has been in this condition for 38 years. You would think after 38 years, the man's immediate answer would be yes. The truth of the matter is the longer we live a certain way, the more comfortable we become there sometimes. And the more we begin to find our identity in dysfunction rather than actually living every day knowing that freedom is coming. Come on, we assume that, right? Like, like you would assume like if you've been sick for three days and someone said, do you want to be well? Like, you know, maybe you would be like, well, I do, but, you know, I just got, I, 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 I know that this thing came, and it's just, you know, it's supposedly the, the, the symptoms only last for seven. Like, that would make more sense if, if you were two days into a cold that, that, that you thought was going to last for five days, and someone said, do you want to be well? It would make more sense if you said, oh, I do, but I know I'm going to be well, because, you know, this thing will run its course, and I'll be fine in five days. If you gave an answer other than yes, three days into a five-day cold, it would make more sense to me than if you gave an answer other than yes, 38 years into something that there was no cure for. The obvious answer is yes. Of course I want to be well. I'm here, aren't I? Like, Jesus could sound really insensitive. I'm going to talk about some other things that he said where he, he could sound insensitive if we think that he is wanting to minister to our feelings rather than to our heart. I mean... You think about it. You walk up to someone who's been in, it says he had been in this condition for 38 years. He's lying on a mat next to a pool where when the waters are stirred, the first person to get into the pool is healed. And so there were probably thousands and thousands of sick people. 
And every time someone got healed, everyone would move a little bit closer, and it was one day closer to being my turn. But this man couldn't move any closer. He's as close as he can be. And he thinks, I can't be okay. And there's two reasons. And he tells Jesus the reasons. Jesus says, you want to be well. He says, I have no one to put me into the water when it's stirred. And every time the water is stirred, somebody steps over me and gets in before I can. He looks at Jesus, who's offering, offering him freedom and healing and restoration and wholeness. The very answer to every problem that he has ever faced with his physical condition is standing in front of him, asking him a simple question, do you want to be well? And yet 38 years of being the product of what people haven't done for him or what people have done to him keep him from responding with the answer that seems so obvious. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. I've been here for 38 years. I've been this way for a long time. And it's because of what people have done for me or what people have done to me. He's so aware of the offense in his heart and how people have let him down and how people have mistreated him that he can't even see that Jesus isn't asking him why he's there. Jesus is asking him, do you want to stay there or would you rather be okay? And Jesus... And I'm going to say some things here, and listen, please don't take these as like dogma, as in like this is always and, and never. I'm just saying that the majority of the times that we see these kind of things happen with Jesus, here's what Jesus didn't do. Oh my gosh. You mean, you mean for 38, come here, come here. 38 years. All these people who call themselves Christians have walked by you. You've been sitting here and not one of them has helped you get into the pool. They call themselves believers. Don't they know what I told them about doing for the least? Don't they remember what I said? And, and then the nerve. You're telling me that, that, that every time the water gets wrestled, when you drag yourself to the edge just before you crawl in, Somebody else steps over, and they've only been here for three days. You've been here for 38 years. You would think people would know better than that. You would think that people would have a little more respect and decency and love and be a little bit less selfish and realize, I've only been here for three days. That guy's been here for 38 years. When the water gets stirred, let him get in because you know what? He's been here way longer than me. You would think that people would have the decency, and I, I get it. And now I'm offended too. I'm offended for you. And I'm justifying you in your offense. And I'm making sure that you realize that it is completely okay for you to stay there. Because when I asked if you want to be well, I didn't realize you've been here for 38 years and I didn't know what people did and I didn't know what they didn't do for you. Forget I even asked. 
He doesn't do that. Why? Because he can't change the last 38 years, but he can certainly change the next 38. And he is not concerned with you figuring out the last 38 as much as he's concerned with you not living another day there so that the next 38 look like what they were intended to look like so that you can actually become who you were made to become rather than sit there for another day staying in that place sitting on your mat waiting for somebody to do for you or somebody to not do to you and then when somebody finally treats me right then I'll be okay and Jesus is standing there saying you know what it, I, I, I'm, I, I hate that everybody didn't treat you right I wish somebody would have helped you in I wish people wouldn't have stepped over you. I'm sure he wished people didn't do that. But what he realizes is, is if I minister to that, then the rest of this guy's life, he's going to need me to come and fix what people do or what people didn't do for him to be okay. If I don't minister to that and I let him realize the answer isn't found in any of those things, then for the rest of his life, he'll realize the answer is in front of me and his name is Jesus. So he completely ignores it and says, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And the man has a choice in that moment because the truth is standing in front of him. The word of God made flesh. The word is in front of him speaking. The word is in front of us speaking. We can open it up and we can hear him speak. Just like that man heard the word made flesh speak. But it doesn't change anything until the man actually makes the decision that I am going to do what he said rather than sit here and do what I've done for the past 38 years. I am going to let my life be changed by what he has said rather than stay a product of what people have or haven't done. And Jesus leaves him with that decision. He doesn't reach down and grab the man and pull him up. He doesn't make the man levitate. You know what else he doesn't do? How many of you know Jesus was a carpenter? Everybody knows that, right? If you don't, go to kids' church next week. They'll teach you that there kidding but if you didn't know that Jesus was a carpenter his father was a carpenter when Jesus grew up he served his father people always say I wonder what Jesus did for the first 30 years of his life that we don't know about I'm pretty sure I know what he did he honored his father and mother he submitted himself in humility to what God had spoke over his life through the written word until the, the spoken word came and said, okay, now it's time for you to do something different. He didn't let who he, knowing who he was, he knew he was at the age of 12. He said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business when they were looking for him? He knew who he was. He knew why he came. He knew the, the calling on his life. He knew who his real father was, but he didn't let any of that give him privilege to where he said, I'm not going to go to work as a carpenter. I'm the Messiah. He was a carpenter. He went and worked with his dad. How many of you know that Jesus could have made that man an amazing pallet? Jesus could have looked and said, I see the problem here. You need a better mat. 
that looks uncomfortable, it looks hard, it's not ergonomic, it's not zero gravity, like the, the angles are all off, that thing looks old and worn out, and maybe it was good at one time, and maybe it made you feel better at one time, but now it's no longer serving the purpose that it was serving. You're no longer comfortable on that mat, are you? Let me make you more comfortable there. Let me give you something that allows you to stay there, but now be more comfortable in the dysfunction. If Jesus never did that for anybody, we better make sure we never do that for anybody. We better make sure that we don't give them something that allows them permission to stay where they are and be more comfortable there rather than giving them the answer that leads to freedom so that they can actually be okay and be whole and be healed, not just stay where they are in their dysfunction, but now have a reason that I can be comfortable there. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. No, because if we're not careful, because we're compassionate and because we're loving and because we care about people and we, we, we want to see them feel better, we want to see them stop crying, we want to see them smile, we want to see all of those things, if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to make people more comfortable rather than give them the answer that allows them to be free. The problem with that is, is that if I do that, then... They'll stay there and they'll be comfortable for a while, but eventually that palette will wear out and they won't be comfortable anymore. And they'll actually be in a worse condition than they were before because they'll think that the answer to their problem is to be made comfortable where they are. So they'll seek out and find people that make them more comfortable rather than actually seek out the answer which is found in Jesus. Notice also Jesus didn't explain everything to him. I think sometimes we think that for me to get up and be okay after 38 years of something, I have to have a complete understanding and have everything figured out before I'm able to stand up and certainly before I'm able to walk. Like, come on, this has got to be a process, right? Like, like you can't just say to someone, boom, and think that like now they're capable of actually getting up and taking their mat and walking. There's got to be some long process. If I was there for 38 years, it's probably going to take at least 38 months for me to be able to do what it is that Jesus is calling me to. Do you, I mean, don't think, like, like how insensitive to think that after 38 years of sitting somewhere, you could just speak and all of a sudden somebody's capable of doing everything you've told them to do. Don't you need to teach them? Don't they need to unlearn and don't they need to learn? Yeah, probably, but none of that stuff is a substitution for actually obeying what Jesus has said and doing what Jesus has called us to do. His theology is so jacked up, he doesn't even know the man's name is Jesus. He doesn't have, it's pretty safe to say he doesn't have everything figured out and he doesn't understand how everything works, but he's okay and he's healed and he's whole and he's walking because while, when he goes and shows himself in the temple, the Pharisees see him and they see him, he's still carrying his mat. And they say to him, it's unlawful for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. You know that you have long been stuck in a religious mindset, in a pharisaical mindset, when you're more worried about the process that someone has gone through or hasn't gone through than you are the fact that you're rejoicing that they're walking when yesterday they were lame. You didn't do it our way. Never mind the fact that for 38 years, these Pharisees have walked by this man every time they went to the temple and saw him laying. You would think they would be rejoicing. You would think they would be thankful. You would think they would be like, dude, you got healed. That's awesome. 
You've been made whole. Wow. What happened? No. They look and they see that what he's doing violates their system of doing things. And they're more offended that he didn't do it their way than they are thankful that Jesus spoke and everything changed. He says to him, it was he that made me whole that told me to pick up my pallet. This is all he knows. Like that, we could get that simple sometimes when people come and they say, what are you doing and how come? And it's the Sabbath and you can't and you're carrying your mat and all this. You start firing all these questions at you when you're just walking in the freedom that Jesus gave you. We would do well to say, I don't know. I just know that the one who set me free and made me whole, he told me to keep walking, so I'm walking. This guy doesn't even know his name. Jesus' his name. They said, who is it? He said, I don't know. Do you know how offensive that was? Probably to the religious leaders of the day, to the Pharisees. Do you know how offensive it is now when you don't have an answer for every single thing, but you're walking in freedom? When people come to you and say, well, you can't just think, and how come, and don't you? It's not that simple, and it doesn't always, and you know you, brother, you have to remember, and it's been this long, and da-da. Like, I hear that stuff all the time. I preach the simple gospel that says this. That Jesus came and shed his blood and had his body broken and torn apart and, and ripped apart and hung on a cross and became the, a curse so that we wouldn't be cursed. For cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. That he took every judgment. He took every curse. He took every abuse. He took every dysfunction. He took every bit of it on him on the cross. Every single thing. They insulted him. They called him names. They mistreated him. They, they, they judged him wrongly. They shoved thorns into his head. They ripped his body open physically where his body is hanging out and, and they did all of this because that was what you and I deserved and Jesus became my sin. He took it and became it so that I could take and become his righteousness. I don't have everything figured out. The halo's shrinking. Newsflash, I don't but I'm very sure of the things that are very clear. And I know this. I know that if Jesus walked into a situation that had been going on for 38 years and he asked somebody, do you want to be made whole? And they were telling him about what everybody hasn't done or what everybody has done. That would be the least of his concerns because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he didn't care then, he probably doesn't care now. And I don't mean that in an unfeeling, uncaring way. I'm saying he sees, you know what? You are letting this keep you here. And if I, don't, if I minister to that, then I'm giving you an answer that is the result of people doing right or people not doing wrong rather than realizing that, you know what, for the rest of your life, there will be chances that people will mistreat you. For the rest of your life, there's a chance that people won't do the right thing or will do the wrong thing. There is a, a legitimate chance of that. And if that makes you dysfunctional and not okay, then you will be a product of everybody around you's perfection or lack thereof. I'm telling you, I can give you something that is greater than that so that when people mistreat you, because they're about to when you go to the temple. If this man thinks people coming against him or mistreating him is what makes him have to stay on his mat, he lays his mat back down in the temple, he lays back down on it, and he's probably crippled again. And that's why Jesus said, see that you don't sin, for something worse may come upon you. What's he saying? Listen, you're still carrying around the ability 
You're still carrying around the thing that made you comfortable there. I'm telling you, be careful, because if you're carrying around the, the thing that made you comfortable for 38 years, there's a chance when the next thing comes that you may find yourself back on that mat. And so the man says, I, it was he that made me well that told me to pick up my mat. In other words, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know his name. I'm not sure about all of your rules. I'm just doing what he told me to do. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But I can't deny what he's done in my life. I'm whole. I'm healed. I'm walking where I used to be lame. And then it says Jesus came and found him in the temple. Why? Well, there were some more things he needed to know. So Jesus said, there's some more stuff you need to know, so I'm going to tell you the things that you still need to know. In other words, I didn't need to tell you everything for you to respond to the one thing, but if there are things that you need to know to empower you to walk the life that I've called you to walk, I'll find you, I'll teach you, I'll show you. But don't let waiting on those things coming be the reason that you're not doing the thing that I've clearly already told you to do and that you're not enjoying and living in the life that I've created for you. See, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If I don't have peace and I don't have joy, I'm not living in the kingdom of God, period. Like, that's not a harsh statement. That's a biblical truth statement because it says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Paul's talking about, you know, if you eat and offend your brother, don't eat and all these things. And he says, and then finally he says, but listen, the, the kingdom of God is not made up of meat or drink. In other words, the kingdom of God isn't about the external things. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to understand that every attack that comes against us comes against the kingdom of God in us. So sin is simply an attack on the righteousness of Christ in your life. Why? Because if I step outside of who I am in Christ, the peace and the joy that's found in that righteousness leaves because the, the peace and joy is tied to the right standing that I have before God and the clear conscience I have before God. That's why it says run to him in your time of need and receive mercy and grace. Why? Because he doesn't want us living apart from that righteousness for a moment because if I step outside of that righteousness in my mind by violating my conscience, by stepping into sin, by giving into an attack of the enemy, which is not an attack on me, he doesn't care about me, he hates the kingdom within me. All he wants you to do is violate yourself so that you shut up, you gray out, and you have nothing to say because you walk around condemned and you walk around convicted and you can't even say things with authority because you're not living it. That's what he wants. He's after the kingdom that's within you. And so if I ever find myself in a place where I don't have peace and I don't have joy, then I'm living in response to something that is outside of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God isn't external. The kingdom of God is within me. Jesus said that. And so I'm going to prove it with Scripture because we always should. I've, I've quoted a ton of Scriptures, but I'm going to actually read some. Jesus said, do not worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. He said, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. In other words, if there's something in the world, in the exterior, in the natural that I need, it'll be supplied. If I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. I may want it. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. The problem is, is that 
He said, he said, your heavenly father knows that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Why does he want to add those things to someone who is seeking first the kingdom of God and righteousness? Because I'll have peace and joy apart from those things. That means when those things come, they're not my source for peace and joy. That means if those things were to leave, my peace and joy doesn't leave with them. If there's anything in the external that is my source of peace and joy, then I am only doing as good as that stays good. So if my peace and my joy comes through anything, my relationship, my job, my finances, my position, my whatever it is, anything that is external, if my peace and joy is found in those things, then my life is as fragile as those things leaving. And if those things leave or if those things aren't good, then I don't have peace and I don't have joy. The problem with that is that those things not being good need somebody with peace and joy in the middle of it because there's no way they're getting better if I lay down on the ground and cry with them. One of us has to be okay. There's always one in every boat that has to be okay, that has to have faith, that has to believe, that has to see beyond the external and be fixed on truth. There has to be, there always is. So Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. You remember this? He, he tells them, let's go to the other side, and then he gets in the boat, and he lays down in the stern on a pillow to go to sleep. And suddenly, a storm comes. The wind begins to whip, the waves begin to churn, a storm comes, there's water coming into the boat. Jesus is completely asleep. Why? Well, because he heard his father say, let's go to the other side. He said, the words that I say are not my own, but my father who's in heaven. So when he said to the disciples, let's go to the other side, it was because the father said to him, go to the other side. So if the father told me to go to the other side, then I'm going to go to sleep till we get to the other side because anything that happens between here and there doesn't matter because I've heard him speak. Like, I'm fixed on that. I know I've heard him speak, so I'm going to have peace, so much peace that I'm going to go to sleep. And when I feel the boat bump against the shore on the other side, I'll get up. But anything that happens between now and then really doesn't matter because nothing out here is greater than what he said and the peace that it brings in here. So he goes to sleep. The disciples, on the other hand, not so much. They're panicking. They're looking at the natural and they're forgetting, wait a minute, we're only doing this because we heard him speak. If he spoke, then none of this matters. They forget it. They haven't been following him that long. They haven't learned the things that he wants. That's why he would say, how long must I be with you? What was he saying? He wasn't saying that in like a sarcastic, how long do I got to be with you? Or a condescending way. He was literally saying like, guys, how long am I going to have to be with you? Because you have to get this stuff. You have to believe this stuff, and you have to own this stuff, and you have to live this stuff because I'm leaving, and it's going to be up to you, empowered by my spirit within you, for you to actually live this stuff out so that when I'm not there, I'm there. So that you can be the body of Christ, the representation of Christ on the earth. And so they, they go and they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Anytime we think that God doesn't care, we have long lost sight of who he is. Don't you care that we're perishing? No, I don't care about the storm because the storm isn't going to make you perish. There's things I do care about and there's things I don't care about. Jesus is th they're thinking, like, no, well, no, I don't care that you're perishing because you're actually not perishing. You just think you are. But he realizes they are being tormented by the storm, so he releases peace. Why? Because he has peace. If he's not fixed on what the Father has said to him, 
then in that moment, he looks around, wakes up, opens his eyes, and goes, whoa! And he grabs a cup and starts bailing because he has to live in response to the natural because we're either living in response to the words that proceed from his mouth or we're living by bread alone. One or the other, we have to choose. So he either has to live in response to the natural, in which case you better be a good sailor, you better be a good bailer, and you better hope that that boat is sturdy enough, or he's living in response to what the Father has said to him, and he has a peace that passes understanding because he realizes the storm is not going to dictate whether or not I get to where my Father has called me to go. Come on, I just want to tell you that today. Like, the storm is not going to change the ability of the word that God gave you from coming to pass unless you let it. And so Jesus calms the storm, and then he looks at the disciples and he says this, why are you afraid? Once again, insensitive Jesus. Why are you afraid? Like, think about it. Like, we read this stuff and we take it like, you know, why are you afraid? No, like Jesus looks at them and says, why are you afraid? Like he literally is asking the question because he wants them to look around and realize why they're afraid. He's not just semantically saying things. He wants them to, to really examine their heart and say, what is going on that has made me afraid? If, if, if you said that to your young followers, that's insensitive. I mean, seriously, like if you look at your young followers who were just panicking because the boat was taking on water and there's a storm and there's waves and they think they're going to die and you look at them and you say, why are you afraid? What do you mean, why am I afraid? I'm afraid because there's waves. I'm afraid because there's a storm. I'm afraid because water was coming into the boat. I'm afraid because we don't have life jackets. I'm afraid because I can't swim that far. I'm afraid because I don't want to lose my life. What do you mean, why am I afraid? And then Jesus answers the question with a question. He says, do you still have no faith? In other words, do you still not believe what I've said more than what you see? You're still living in response to everything around you rather than in response to the word that I spoke. You still don't know yet, do you? That when I said, let's go to the other side, I meant let's go to the other side, not let's go to the middle, freak out and drown and die. And so the storm came against the kingdom. You took it personally and feared for your own life. The storm was there to shake your faith in me, to get you to turn around, to get you to go back, to get you to live in response to anything other than what I said. You don't understand, do you? You still don't have faith. You still don't let what I speak be greater than what you see. You're still not living by every word that proceeds from my mouth. You're living by bread. And he doesn't condemn them for it. But he doesn't tell them it's okay either. He just leaves them with that thought. But he realizes the answer is they need to know me more. They need to be with me more. They need to experience more of me. And there's a day coming when they'll be born again. And they'll be able to carry the very thing 
that they need. And here it is. John 20, verse 19. So when the e- it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in their midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. You notice this time, they're gathering for fear of the Jews. Why? The Jews are hunting them. The Jewish leaders of the day that have just killed Jesus are now after all of his disciples. They are just determined they're going to destroy this thing called the way, this uprising, these followers of Jesus whom they claim is the Messiah, who they claim is the Christ. We killed him and now we're going to round all of them up and kill them too because we have to eradicate this, this sect, this, this cult, this crazy religious gathering that has started, we need to eradicate it before it starts to take ground. They don't realize that like leaven, there was already too much in the lump. What they didn't realize is that thing was already reproducing. But, the, but at this time, the disciples are afraid. Jesus has been killed. They don't know where he is. They don't know what's happened to him. They've heard things, but they're not sure if they're really true. And, and so they're huddled inside of a room in fear of the Jews. The doors are shut. In other words, the doors are locked. They are shutting off the thing that is making them afraid because the only way that they have peace is by having a locked door that keeps that out. Jesus walks into the room and realizes... It's time. I've shed my blood. I've been resurrected. Everything that is necessary for them to be born again and to be new creations, to be filled with the Spirit of God has taken place. And it's time now. He doesn't open the door and yell to the Jews, Peace! That's what he did in the boat. He spoke peace to the thing that was disturbing them. But this time he realizes... I'm about to send them into a hostile world the same way my father sent me into a hostile world. And if I yell peace to the Jewish people and they calm down, they'll never understand that what they carry inside of them is greater than what they face around them. And I'm sending them into a world that is never going to be perfectly okay until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. This world will be hostile against them. He told them, if the world hates you, it's because he hated me first. And so he realizes, if I do that now, like I did that then, then the answer every time something goes wrong, they're going to go and hide and sit in a room and wait until I come and fix the problem before they dare to step out. And I can't have that because the very reason that I gave my life and the very reason I was resurrected and the very reason that I'm giving them my spirit is because I'm going to send them into the world the same way the Father sent me to change the world, not to be changed by it. So he says, it says, listen, it says, when they saw him, they rejoiced. Why? Because now they've realized, I don't need the Jewish people to calm down, to be joyful. I just need to see Jesus. I don't need the circumstance to be fixed. I don't need the problem to go away. I don't need the person to change. I just need to see Jesus in the middle of it. And suddenly I have a joy that I didn't have before. And it says, and he breathed on them and said, peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And you'll find from that day forward, the disciples were never again hiding in a room for fear or huddling in a boat thinking they were going to die because they understood what I have inside of me is greater than what I see around me. And if I'm influenced by that, it can't be influenced by me. Jesus is the only one in the boat that time that could speak to the storm and bring peace. Why? He's the only one that had peace in the middle of it. So he was the only one that had the authority to speak to it. And he realizes, I want all of them to have the same authority I had to where they can walk into any situation where life can throw anything at them that it throws and their joy and their peace isn't shaken because their joy and their peace isn't tied to everything being perfect around them. It's to being perfected by me in them. And now all of a sudden I can send them out into the world and they can be the answer rather than be influenced by it, they can bring influence to the world. And I don't know what storm you're facing. I know some of them. I know some people are facing very real storms, very real trials, very real loss, very real disappointment, very real things that would try to come and discourage them, very real people mistreating them, very real people for 38 years not doing what they should or doing what they shouldn't. I know that, but I also know that the answer is standing in front of you and his name is Jesus and he's saying, listen, do you want to be okay? Because if you say yes, I'll give you something that not only gets you out of this place, but make sure you never end up back there because you'll carry the answer to everything you face in life within you so that if nothing ever changes, neither will you. You'll have peace and you'll have joy in the middle of it. Because in me, all is well. And when I was preparing to speak this, I felt like there were two groups of people one are the people that right now are freaking out. And, and see, listen, they saw Jesus. They knew Jesus was there. In fact, they went and woke Jesus up. To, to many of us, we think that like running in fear to him is what he wants. He'll take it. Notice he doesn't reject them. Notice he doesn't say, leave me alone and go back to sleep. Like he'll take it. He sees that's where they are. I wish they weren't. That's why he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have new faith? He's like, man, I wish they understood by now. I wish they got it by now. I wish that they were living according to what I've said, not what they've seen. But I see where they are, and I'm not going to reject them. I'm not going to chastise them. I'm not going to tell them, you're not going to die. Just, just go out there, and I'm, I'm going back to sleep, and, and quit being a baby. They don't, he doesn't do that. But he also doesn't want to have to do what he did forever. He wants us to grow up into him so that we could be the person in the boat when people are freaking out that carries the peace. See, they, they weren't unbelievers in the sense that they didn't believe in Jesus. They actually believed in him. That's why they woke him up. And it wasn't that they didn't recognize and see Jesus. They saw Jesus. They recognized Jesus. There's a lot of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior. They believe they would recognize him as Lord. But the problem is, is that they don't actually understand what has been given to them and the authority that they carry. And so every time something goes wrong, their answer is to run to Jesus and ask him to fix it. And sometimes he will. Because he's kind and he's good like that. But about three years later, he realized shed my blood they can be born again new creations 
I don't want to have to keep fixing it, so I'm not going to tell the Jews to calm down. I'm going to give them the answer to a hostile world so that they're not hiding in here with the doors shut. They open the doors and go out, carrying joy and carrying peace because the peace that I give them is not as the world gives. It's not tied to the external. It's tied to who's inside of me and who I'm inside of. Christ in me, me in Christ. And so I feel like it's a graduation time. I really felt like that, like it's a graduation time. Maybe for some people who your answer has been, and and to the best that you knew how, this is what you did. Every time something went wrong, to freak out and to respond to what's happening, and you you ran to Jesus, and that felt right, and and Jesus oftentimes would receive you in and speak to the storm, and things would calm down, where he's saying, okay, but listen, I want to send you out into the world. I don't want the world to send you back running to me. Like, I don't want you to turn around every time things get a little bit rocky and come running back and have me have to calm you down and keep whatever it is from making you freak out. Like, I want to give you something greater than that so that you can go out and overcome the world so that when people don't and when people do, they don't destroy you, they don't change you. You actually have the answer that can destroy and change the kingdom that's coming against you. It's graduation time. But it's only found by living in the kingdom being led by the Spirit and believing that greater is he that's in me, truly greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So if I, while I've been saying that, you would recognize that in your own life. Like, man, I, well, three things, I guess. The first one would be, if every time Jesus speaks, and when I say Jesus speaks, I mean his word speaks. Because I mean, you know, like his word will confront me. Like, it is confrontational to me if my mindset isn't aligned with the kingdom of God. Like, it actually stirs me up, and it can cause anger even to rise up inside of me when the word of God speaks, when it confronts something, because I've been this way for so long, I've found my identity here, and, 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 and you can't say that to me because you don't know what people have and haven't done for 38 years. And if you've been there, It's time to get up, take up your mat and walk. You don't have to have it all figured out. But when you hear him speak, you do have to respond. And you do have to decide, I don't understand all that stuff, but I do understand what he said, and so I'm done staying here when he's told me that I could get up and leave this place. I don't even know exactly where I'm going. I just know I can't stay here anymore. And I trust that as I'm walking, as I'm being obedient to what he said, he'll come and find me. He always does. If there's things I need to know, he'll explain them to me. But I'm not going to let not knowing everything and not understanding everything keep me from responding to the one thing I very clearly heard him say. Come on, if that's you, get up. Take up your mat. Walk. I don't mean that insensitively. I just mean this. I know that the answer is found in him, and I know that the last 38 years are speaking, but so is he. And the next 38 will be determined by which one has the louder voice. Two, if Wallow is speaking, and this is the one I really want to pray for, speak truth to, you would recognize that, you know what? I'm good at doing what he's called me to do until a storm comes, until waves start, until water starts coming into the boat whatever that might be. 
Like I'm really good when we push off from shore and Jesus is standing at the stern of the boat like George Washington, but then when he goes to sleep and things start to go crazy, I start living in response to what's going on around me and I freak out and I run to him and wake him up because I don't believe that what he's given me is enough to face the storm that's in front of me. If that's you, would you just stand where you are? I want to encourage you with something. Come on. Don't stay there. It's okay that you've been there. It's not okay to stay when truth comes. Like there's never condemnation for where we've been, but it's never an excuse to not move forward once truth comes. So here's what I want to say to each and every one of you, and and I want you to, I'm just going to read it because it's what Jesus would say to you. Peace be with you. Not peace to the storm around you, not peace to the Jewish people that hate you, not peace to the things that have come against you. No, peace be with you. It says, and then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm just telling you, like if you're filled with the Spirit of God, receive a fresh filling of his Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, if you would just ask. So right now, why don't we all ask? Because every one of us is going to face something. Why don't we just all right now just say like, God, I, I, re- I want more of your spirit. I need a fresh filling of your spirit. I need you to breathe on my life again. I need to be filled with your courage. I need the peace and the joy that I know can be found in you. I'm not waiting for the circumstance to change because my joy is not tied to the circumstance. I'm not waiting for the circumstance to change because my peace is not tied to the circumstance. I'm going to be changed by you so that if my circumstance never changes, I don't spend my life waiting for something to happen when thousands of years ago the answer came and now to every person in here as the father sent me into the world this is what Jesus said to his disciples how did the father send him he sent him full of his spirit eyes fixed on him into a hostile world to be the answer not the result when you walk into that situation the answer is inside of you and it may not look like what you want And it may not look like what you think. That's why we have to keep our eyes fixed on him in the middle of it. So that we're not living by our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging him and letting him direct our path. But never letting peace and joy be tied to something outside of the kingdom. Never letting things that aren't Lord be Lord. Because Jesus is. Father, right now, just for every person in this room, for every person that's, that's watching online, for every person that's gathered in their home right now, God, I pray that they would let the words of Jesus come and speak to them and that they would respond to what you're saying, not to what has been done or hasn't been done or what's been said or what hasn't been said, that we would just turn the page like Hannah said, that we would literally be able to turn a page and say, you know what, I can't change the past 38, but I will not let the next 38 be the same. I can't go back and fix the last 38, but I can make sure that the last 38 doesn't determine the next 38. I can't change them. I can't change that situation. I can't change those people, but I can be changed by you. And I'll be a reason that they can actually change rather than a reason that they stay the same. I will respond like Jesus responds rather than be in living in response to them. 
Come on, I'm telling you. It can't be that simple. I know, I know. It couldn't be that simple for the man who had been lame for 38 years. He did it the wrong way on the wrong day and didn't even know who it was that told him to get up. How in the world could he be free? Because a man named Jesus spoke and every time he speaks, everything he says carries the grace needed to live out what he's saying. Come on, don't let people talk you out of what he said. Don't let them. Don't, don't let anyone make you comfortable in dysfunction. Don't let them. Don't let anyone be a reason that you can't be what he said to you now that he spoke. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. I thank you, God, for a turning of the page. I feel it. I feel it. And I know I don't live by my feelings, but, man, when my feelings line up with what you say, it makes me excited because I can feel it. I know that today some people's eyes are being opened and that pages are being turned and that things that have been gone on for way too long are coming to an end today because you are speaking and you are Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the joy and the peace being found today in you not being delayed for one day when all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.